and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Don't know if you recognized in the stanza, be there at our homing. Picks up the imagery of the homecoming that's also talked about when people come and we celebrate their life and funerals. The reality of our faith that we believe when we close our eyes to this life, we open them to God's eternal embrace. As I mentioned several weeks ago, this opening prayer, a prayer for illumination, is actually from my grandfather's files. And when I ran across it earlier this year in our planning, I just thought this was a beautiful way for us to think about what frames our thinking. And so I want to invite us to join together in this prayer for illumination. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace, and your love in your goodness, and in your love all of, and all the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The passage that we uh, select towards a day from this ruthlessly eliminating hurry from life is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke will call it the Sermon on the Plain, but in Matthew chapter 5 to verse uh, chapter 7, you will find the Sermon on the Mount. Or if you have the old style Bible with the words in red, where Jesus' words are in red, there's a lot of red letters. In fact, almost all of them are between Matthew 5 and the end of Matthew chapter 7. Now, I do want to know you're going to be, we're going to read from the, um, the NIV translation and it's a fascinating piece when we really employ uh, a lot of biblical scholarship, interesting things happen. Have you ever heard this phrase, I believe in the King James Bible because that's the one that Jesus gave to the disciples, right? <laughs> this is actually not true, okay? Hopefully your hint is King James, right? So actually William Tyndale did the interpretation from the Greek and other texts for the King James authorized version. And the word, if you read in the NIV, is actually translated more accurate than the word in the King James. The King James will say, don't lay up for yourself treasures where moth and rust. You're going to find that actually in the NIV, it's going to say in a moment, moths and vermin. Now, friends, when was the last time you used the word vermin in a sentence? Well, I mentioned this as we were gathering for prayer and getting all collaborated as a clergy team together, and lo and behold, Stacy Sweet said, oh, I used that word this morning. I said, you did not. She said, yeah, I did. I heard a lot of scurrying. Now, here's what you need to know about Stacy Sweet. Of the four pastors that have chickens at their house, it's not Clint, it's not Bert, it's not Jeremy. It's Stacy. Did you know Stacy had chickens in her house? She also has several stray cats, uh, her dogs, and then they're also watching another dog, right? And so uh, there's a lot of noise, but she was awake and it said to Jim this morning, I heard scurrying in the attic last night. I think we got vermin up there. <laughs> I don't know what that says about Stacy Sweet, right? But let me ask you, if you've used the word vermin in your lexicon anywhere in the last year, would you just raise your hand so we can let Stacy know she's not alone? One, two, three, four, five. You don't count. You've got a business you have to run. You deal with vermin all the time. So, 
Now, I will not ask if you're referring to vermin as a pest or as an actual person. Here's what that word means in the Greek. That word in the Greek is actually translated that which eats. That's the literal translation. And so the reason that Tyndale used the idea of rust is what does rust do to metal? Right? Oxidation. It, it eats it away. So what does a worm do? What does a vermin do? It, it eats away. So the image there is don't treasure those things that can be chewed away or can be rusted away. So that's sort of the reason when you see this word, um, you'll know how it got into this NIV translation. And that spirit, I'll invite you to stand as you're able as we hear this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 34. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself." Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit of God stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. This whole rhythm of the ruthless elimination of hurry has been to, to focus on 
the dissonance and the noise of the world to reclaim those moments of Sabbath and silence and intentionality. And today we have chosen out of this the concept of simplicity. When we look at what we believe fulfills our lives and what brings us joy, what brings us peace of mind, what brings us security, we stand at a bit of a crossroads because the culture will tell us how to fill those voids and hungers in our lives and scriptures a little bit different. I submit to you the following. If any of you have an eBay or Amazon account, they know in the world and consumerism how to do this. You don't just put things in your cart if you see something that you like and you're on eBay, have you noticed what icon they use that you click to say you don't want to forget about looking at that? It's a heart. Look, I know a little more about bidding on eBay. Remember, I'm the guy that almost bought a used pair of golf pants for $601. So if you're thinking about bidding, talk to me. I can tell you how to avoid that moment. And if you happen to be in a relationship as a husband, be sure you talk to me because I can tell you that conversation was very interesting when I went home to talk with my wife, Sean. And thanks be to God, I only paid $17 plus shipping. It's a heart. Isn't that fascinating? But then both Amazon and eBay both, and I don't know if we're going to get shut down because of this because I mentioned them so many times, you know, on a live stream, but we'll see. But let's say you, you see something and let's say you like that something, but you're not ready to buy it. What do you do? You put it in your what? Your wish list. Now look, don't put it in your cart. This is a full service church. I'm going to tell you why. Don't put it in your cart because I did that once, but then I wanted to order the book for the sermon series. And I just wanted to be quick, right? How uh, I, in my expediency to teach, to read about ruthlessly eliminating hurry, wanted to rapidly get through and on the Amazon cart, hit the one click and buy and everything I put in there showed up. <laughs> and I get this little text from the person with whom I reside at our uh, abode that tends to have more Amazon deliveries. And I come home and she says, be sure you check by the front door. And Sean had said, oh, look who's busy on Amazon now, right? <laughs> a little stack of things and it was stupid stuff. But now I had that little plastic hanger that I wanted to behind the truck seat that I could hang my jacket on. I've got several other nonsense pieces. <laughs> Put it in your wish list. Then you don't automatically accidentally buy it. You see, they've got ways to tell you, you need these things. But you know what the reality is? A lot of that stuff, you don't need. You're a consumer and you're buying because you're bored or it's caught your fancy. It is the same version of what happens when you sit down and you're bored and you go to the freezer and behold, the broccoli has transformed itself into a quart of bluebell. I know this for a fact because my mother, okay, this is my mother, and if she's listening, I love you, mom, but you know this is true. My mother is trying to teach her great-grandchildren that chocolate ice cream is actually called broccoli. <laughs> it's true, mom. It's true. And now we all know it. We're taught to consume. We're taught to stuff our feelings. That's part of the cultural message. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, 
We would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And in this season of rising costs at the gas pump and at the grocery store, a lot of families, or maybe it's your electric bill, or if you're in Houston, this may shut me down too, maybe it's your water bill, let us pray, right? <laughs> Holy cow. Look, all of those conversations have been driven by involuntary necessity. But friends, it's not just about squeezing the almighty dollar as far as it will go. It's about a probing deeper into the message, not what can I afford, but what am I going to do with what I've got? It may surprise you, and it may not surprise you, that I was known as the chaplain of Fuzzy's Taco Shop in Amarillo, Texas. I always find good taco shops in every town I've been in. I'll plug in the Kingwood Taco Shop up on Mills Branch now. So, Greg, that's worth one taco. And there was a gentleman who I met there when I went almost daily. And he had this joke when he found out I was a preacher. And we were talking about stewardship. And he said, look, preacher, I can tell you all you need to know about stewardship. You just tell your people. If you can't eat it, you can't sleep in it, or it don't pay the bills, you don't need it. <laughs> you can't eat it, you can't sleep in it, and it don't pay the bills, you don't need it. And this is the way that this gentleman had framed out how to live within his means to not hunger and chase after what all the world had. I mean, have you ever thought of that phrase, you know, if I just have enough, I'll be fulfilled, right? You, you're hungry, think, if I just get this or this or this. I mean, if you're a youth or a teenager and you're hungry and say, you know, if I just have the right tennis shoes or the right logo on my shirt or the right kinds of friends. There's this hungering thing that if I just get the exterior things, when the reality is, if we look through the lens that I'm already blessed with all that I have, it's about your appetite, your hunger, and about how you let the world set the agenda for you and continually pressure you that you need more, you need more, you need more. So historically, what the church has done is taught about how to balance that. Early in the teaching, when the Christian church was being formed, there was a whole group that thought about, well, I know how to solve this problem with the world. I'm just going to disconnect with the world. The whole idea of being hermits, of just absolutely totally uh, abandoning culture and going to live in a cave, therefore I don't have to be tempted because I'm not even connected. That seems to fly in the face of Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, be in the world but not of the world. And how do you understand that? You sang it a minute ago. At our coming home, be thou Lord my trust and stay. This is not your home. Have you heard that song? This is not your home. You're just passing through. So how do we deal with the exterior pressures. How do we live into what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 that he's learned to be content in all things? Four things. Four simple steps I want to invite you to go through. The first thing to ask based on the scripture is in verses 19 through 21. What Jesus is telling us is to ask this question in simplicity as you pursue seeking simplicity. What is your treasure? What do you treasure? What do you value? What's important to you? 
And what he clearly says is that whatever you treasure and value, there your heart will be also. Where do you place the priorities on what's most important? We get a chance uh, about every couple of weeks to watch uh, a little fellow named David. He's our grandson. Got him this past weekend. You know, if, if something were to happen at the house, I mean, I love my children. Don't get me this wrong, but I'm, I'm in the grandparent fraternity. I mean, in fraternity, we, we love being grandparents. It's amazing how much you love your grandkids. But I can guarantee you, as much as I like a clean truck, I don't care if he scrapes it. As much as I like things being in order, I don't care if he breaks it or scatters it all over. Because he's my grandson. Now, we're working at home because I have used the word no a few times, and Grammy's still finding that in her vernacular with him, but she found it this weekend. No. But if something happened to that house, if something happens and I need to say, what is the treasure? What do I treasure most? If something I had to get out of the house immediately, it's going to be David James, then my wife. And the reason I say that is, if I can find David James, I'm going to find my wife. <laughs> because you know what she would say is going to be? David James and then my husband, right? <laughs> but where is the treasure? What do you value most? And the reality is, you don't get to take it with you. There's no forwarding address for your 401k or your house or your property or your possessions or your hobbies that when you pass in this earthly life, you don't go with a U-Haul. It's just you. So what do you treasure most? Secondly, if you're seeking simplicity, what is your vision? What is your vision? I mean, Jesus says clearly in verses 20 through 22 and 23 that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What you're looking for, what you are seeking... Did you catch that the tune to the hymn that we sung was, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Who is your vision? Who cast your vision? Who sets those priorities? How do you look at life? But hope that you look through the lens of the gospel. As I shared with the youth this summer at EM Army, Mickey Eford, once a professor of New Testament at Duke, when I was at Duke, he said, becoming a Christian is like getting a lens of glasses that makes things more clear. And as you grow in Christian perfection, even though he was Presbyterian, he was a good Methodist using Christian perfection, the idea that we're growing in grace, growing in knowledge of God. He says, what happens is, as things become more clear about what God is and who God is, I clearly see more of what I fail to be and the contrast between the ways of God and the ways of the world. And I was talking with the youth about that because too often what we think is, well, if I just get closer to God in daily reading of Scripture, etc., things will go more smoothly. When it's actually the antithesis to that. That as you grow in faith, you begin to recognize what part of your life is not consistent with the call of Christ and the call of the gospel. It is part of the challenge, but it's also what Paul says, 
when he says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself in obedience to God's will, even to death on a cross. What do you value? What's your vision? And now the one that is a little more difficult, but it's all summed up in one verse. If you're seeking simplicity in life, you're going to have to ask this question. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? You don't need a sermon on this. It's already preached. Jesus said it this way. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other. This is not about a house divided where someone from UT and A&M have to split flag and negotiate. This is either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. I once heard it said a long time ago, money cannot make you happy, but hungering for it can make you miserable. Money cannot make you happy, but hungering for it can make you miserable. Do you make your financial decisions based on a priority of God and your faith? This is where they say, I go from preaching to meddling, and if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm aiming at your heart. If you want to know your priorities, this is almost say, you want to know your priorities, you go pull up and see where you spend your money. Hopefully for Sean and Burt Palmer, Kingwood United Methodist Church is ahead of Whataburger. Look at your check. I would say look at your check, but, but some of you young folks haven't any clue what that is. So <laughs> pull up online your account. See where you're spending your money. Where you bought into this culture of convenience and consumerism. And where does God fit into how you spend your money? And here's the disclaimer that's going to probably surprise some of you. I'm not challenging you to give to the church. I'm challenging you to give to others in the world. And if you think the church is a messed up, screwed up place, you're right, we are. If you don't want to give to the budget, go ahead. But I'm telling you this, God tells you you ought to give. And if it's not going to be the church, then I just challenge you to say, sorry, excuse, now where? Find some place to give beyond yourself. It doesn't have to be the church. You can pick up a missional cause. You can contribute to lots of things. But what are you doing? with what you have. And lastly, I want to ask you this. Verses 25 through 34 is this wraps up in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're seeking simplicity, it all really comes down to who do you trust? Who do you trust? Can God be trusted? Is God trustworthy? And I know you've read your devotional this morning already for our week, right? I know that you're engaged in that because if you have, you know the prayer that's embedded in the devotional today. This is about trust. Picking up from Proverbs chapter 3, lean not upon your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge God. Let him direct your paths. Who do you trust? You see, at times we are all functional atheists. We say we have faith in God. We say we trust God. But the reality is we function as if everything depends upon us to get it right. Who do you trust? I'm going to give you two images to wrap up today. The first is, um, as I prayed about this and prepared for it, I thought, what's the best example of the tension between the Christian journey and the cultural journey? 
And this is what I've come up with. I think that the problem is that culture suggests that we approach faith in Christ like a timeshare, where we look at the calendar and try to book something that fits into the schedule because we are nominally invested in our getting our value back from our investment, and by golly, it's got to get on the calendar. Rather than looking at our faith in Christ, as the ultimate surrender of every aspect of our lives to Christ being the Lord of our life and the Lord of all of our life. Which is it? You choose the message of the culture or the message of the gospel and scripture. Or as I have said before, one of my favorite sections of poetry from Vincent Godfrey Burns, entitled, If Jesus Came Back Today, we fashion great churches and creeds, but the heart of the poor still bleeds, the poor still rot in their needs. We display with pride his cross in the midst of our pagan life while we cling to our hearts the dross of our selfishness and our strife. What sacrifice have we made to live the love that he prayed? What willing blood have we shed to do the deeds that he said, but to be popular and well-fed, we forsake the way that he led, and we follow a ghost instead. Friends, if you're seeking to ruthlessly eliminate the hurry in your life, you need to ask four questions. What do you value? What's your vision? Who do you serve? And who do you trust? And I pray you're not following a ghost because that's all the culture can offer to you. Let's pray together. God, we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have used the gift you have given us in our minds to create fabulous rationalizations to keep a you at a distance, to explain to you why we're doing the things that we shouldn't be engaged in or fail to do the things that you call us to. So forgive us, God. But more than just that aspect of forgiving, would you help your spirit to strengthen us to find the internal resolve to go where you lead, to be faithful, to follow, and to surrender every aspect of our lives to you. For God, we trust you. And we trust that you will be the one who is always there, regardless of the challenge, the question, or the concern. Oh God, great is your faithfulness and great is your grace, which is always amazing. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. We offer this prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Always faithful, always trustworthy. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.